This morning's reading is taken from Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 22 and going to the end of the chapter, verse 56. And the page number is, Mim? 1037. 1037. Thank you. So Luke 8, starting at verse 22, page 1037. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marvelled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would, would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all of the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man called Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, 
Master, the crowds surround you and you are and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Claire, for reading that. Uh, we're continuing in our series in Luke's Gospel. It's good to change things around a bit, isn't it? It's one of the principles that we believe here at Cornerstone Church Colchester, change for change's sake. It sort of gets us out of our comfort zone and helps us to, to re-engage and to think about what we're doing as we meet to Hegel's word and to praise him, to pray to him. But let's just pray, shall we? Um, I don't know if, like me, you're feeling a bit snuffly and head's a bit sort of, oh, cloth, just not working properly. So let's pray for God's help for me and for us all as we come to God's word together. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you that we've already been reminded that you are king, that you are the Messiah, that all authority in heaven and on every part of the universe, the earth, has been given to you, that you are fully in control of everything that happens. So Lord, we thank you that as we come to this record, this eyewitness record of your words and works, your spirit is here with us. Please may he help me to speak in a way that's helpful. Please may he help each of us in each of our hearts to receive that which you speak from heaven for your glory's sake. Amen. Uh, one of the other things we're doing a little bit different today, as we did last week, is we're going to get together and, and sort of discuss um, in groups. Um, so you, you may want to be sort of preparing yourself, thinking, oh, right, now where, where am I going to go? Uh, if you'd rather not, then and just sit on your own, that's totally fine. But there's some questions on the table that will help us think and discuss. And they really reflect the points of what I'm going to say. So do have that, those uh, little slips in front of you um, as we go. But I want to begin just by asking each of us a, a question to think about what are we afraid of? What do we fear? Of course, fear in one sense is a good thing. If, if we don't fear road traffic, we're more likely to get run over. If we don't fear getting COVID, then we're more likely to get it or die of it. If we Think about our fears, though. There's lots of things, aren't they, that we may be afraid of. It, it may be that we fear what people think of us. We want people to like us. 
we may fear not earning enough money. We want to provide for our family. That's a good thing. We may fear not passing our exams or fear not being perceived by people in, in the right kind of way. Lots of fears that go on in our hearts, aren't there? Well, in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the antidote to fear. The Bible is not about fear. The most common command of the Bible is, do not fear. And Jesus, as the fulfillment of the whole scriptures, is the antidote to our fears. But in what way? Well, two ways. Firstly, we are not to fear anything because he is more to be feared. And second, we're not to fear because he alone is to be trusted. He is more to be feared than anything in this universe. And he's more to be trusted than anything in this universe. Now, the first two sections that we'll look at show us how much Jesus is to be feared. More than anything. First point is this. Fear Jesus' power over nature. So look with me back at... Um, Chapter 8 and Jesus' calming of the storm. Remember the disciples have been in the boat with Jesus and they are hardened fishermen. This is not you and I just going off for a little trip in the sea and getting a bit scared because it gets a bit choppy. No, these are hardened trawlermen or equivalent, terrified that they're going to die. With years of experience, they knew what was safe and what was life-threatening. And verse 24, they... they went and woke Jesus. Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. How would you react? The disciples were terrified of Jesus. I don't know of another incident in the Gospels that so clearly illustrates the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully human. One minute he is asleep with exhaustion in the back of a boat that's in the middle of a tornado. The next he stands up and tells the wind and the waves to be still and they are calm instantly. But the disciples are terrified. Jesus says in verse 25, where is your faith? Why, why don't you trust me? And in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, I'm sorry I haven't been able to come up with a better illustration. Those of you who know this illustration will know that I love it. And uh, perhaps you can help me get a better illustration. But it's an illustration of, from the Lord of the Rings and the Balrog. If that doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry. <laughs> Imagine there's a group of heroes traveling through deep and dark mines, huge cavernous cathedrals that have been hewn by the rock, by the dwarves, and they come across hordes of goblins, which are really quite nasty things. And there's thousands of these nasty, murderous fiends out to get them. And they're being encircled by thousands of them. And it's not looking that good. And then there is a thud. And they all run away. 
And one thing you know is that something more fearsome is coming. The Balrog, the demon of the deep, who manages to drag down Gandalf down in that famous you shall not pass scene. <laughs> See, when something really scary is overpowered, that is greater, more fearsome, more terrifying. And this is what's happening here. Jesus of infinite goodness and power just stands up and speaks to the tornado, and it is calm. I don't know if you've ever been confronted with the power of nature in a way that has terrified you. It might be that you've been caught out in the mountains and realized, hmm, this is getting a bit tricky. I could die here. Or out on the sea in a boat, and it's not just a little choppy, it is becoming life-threatening, or the terror of encountering a tornado, or an earthquake, or that image that probably we've only seen on films of a tsunami coming your way, the pit in the stomach, we are about to die. And then something more powerful takes over, more threatening, with such power that the disciples respond, not with, oh, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, isn't he lovely? No, they are terrified. Is that your view of Jesus? Someone so powerful that were he to show you his power in just a little glimpse, you'd have no fear of tornadoes or earthquakes or floods or tsunamis because his power is greater. The question you'd be left with is, is he for me or against me? Is he for me or against me? Because woe is me if he is against me. I will not survive his opposition. So fear Jesus' power over nature. Secondly, fear Jesus' power over evil. Jesus encounters a person that no one can control because this person is possessed by countless evil spirits. And this man lived among the tombs and the evil spirits degraded him. He lived naked, yet he had great power. He could break the chains that they tried to bind him with. And in verse 30, Jesus encounters him. What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. See, the demons knew that Jesus had power over them, that their final end was to be tortured forever in the abyss, in the place of torment. They know who Jesus is. They know that he is the Holy One of God, the Son of the Most High. They beg him not to punish them before the time. And Jesus gives them permission. He's not showing them mercy. He was allowing their route to the abyss to cleanse not only the man, but the whole land. 
See, the effect of Jesus' permission is that the, the evil spirits go into the pigs and the pigs rush down the steep bank and they all get drowned. And how do the pig herders and the locals react to this man, Jesus, when they see the man that they could not control, dressed and in his right mind, and all the pigs floating in the lake? How do they react when they see the power of Jesus to cleanse a man and cleanse Gentile territory of pork? Verse 37, then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. Jesus has such terrifying power over evil that rather than people think, oh, great, Jesus, could you, you hang around a bit because you're just this sort of cuddly kind of guy. We'd just love you to be, sort of stay a bit and get to know you. No, can you leave? Please just get out of here. If you have this power, we don't, we don't know whether you're for us or against us, particularly as you've just got rid of all the pork and we're Gentiles. What evil do you fear? It may be evil spirits. Of course, in our culture, every everyone is encouraged to be skeptical about the devil and his demons. And if we have embraced a materialistic worldview in which evil is virtually denied, of course, we won't think that this is real, that this is reality. In, in the Christianity Explore courses that I've run over the last uh, few decades, it's very interesting that people who are equally scientific, equally skeptical, fall into two categories. Those who ridicule any idea of evil spirits, and those who almost embarrassingly have to admit they exist because they've met them. Atheists who will say to me, yes, well, I'm not sure about God, but I've, I've certainly encountered something that was spiritual and evil. Can't explain it. See, evil things come from an enemy of God who has vast power in the world. We just have to look out on our TV screens or our social media. We can see horrific evil, can we not? It proceeds from an evil spiritual power, the enemy of God. But the question is, will he win? Or is God more powerful? Is God in the person of Jesus more powerful than all the demons and the devil himself? And here it's clear that he is, is it not? He just tells them where to go. And they go. But what, what evil do we fear happening to us? What evil inside ourselves even. When we look at our hearts, Jesus says that out of our hearts comes all kinds of evil. He's not that complimentary about humanity. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, what evil do we fear, inside or outside? We should fear Jesus more. because he has power over all evil. 
Uh, don't worry, that does raise a few questions, but if you want to ask me about those questions, do grab me afterwards. Do we fear evil more than we fear Jesus? See, the purpose of this section of Luke is not to make us terrified of Jesus, just as the aim of Jesus was not to produce fear in the disciples or people around him. He was just revealing who he was with the eternal, infinite, total power of Almighty God who keeps all things in being with a word. So how could anything be more powerful than Jesus Christ if he is fully God in human flesh? See, the, the aim of Jesus, he wanted people, his disciples, those around him, to trust him as a result, to see his power and trust him. And he questions, maybe some of us here this morning, as he did the disciples, where is your faith? You, you see in our mind's eye the power of Jesus over nature and over evil, and rather than just being terrified of him or asking him to leave, we should be trusting him. We should trust him all the more, or maybe for the first time, because that's what Jesus wanted of his followers and wanted with all his encounters. So that's where we see that we should fear Jesus, but we shouldn't leave it there. We should allow our fear of who Jesus is to drive us to him, not away from him. And this is the second two points, which are about trust. Trust Jesus' power over illness. See, we can imagine the scene in uh, the final section, beginning at verse 40. Jesus is moving through a dense crowd. People are pressing up against him. And unknown to the crowd, a woman approaches Jesus, verse 43, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and, and just touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. She knew that she was healed. This woman had faith that Jesus could heal her. And Jesus seems to ask a question that Peter thinks is rather silly. Verse 45, who touched me? M Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, no, someone touched me. I know the power has gone from me. Jesus felt the power go from him to this woman. Why is he trying to expose this? Why is he wanting to know who has come to him for faith to be healed? Well, he wants to give her something better. Verse 47, the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. She is overwhelmed with fear. What no other physician has been able to do, Jesus did just by her touching his cloak. This man is powerful. Is he for me? Or is he against me? In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And the woman comes to Jesus in fear. And what does Jesus say to her? Verse 48. Daughter. Daughter, your family 
daughter, your faith, your trust in me has healed you. But I'm giving you something greater. You're part of my family. You trust in me? I'm for you. Go in peace. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus wants to deliver her from her fear of him, the power that she has just experienced of him, and to know that she is in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because you've trusted me, Jesus says, you've been healed. But here is something greater. You are my daughter. We are part of the same family. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. For her. Individually. Can you hear Jesus' voice say to you, daughter, son, we're at peace. I'm for you. Yes, all this power is for you. See, the more powerful the person is, the more you want to be on the right side of them, don't you? If you've seen something of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, are you on the right side of him? Do you know that he says to you, has said to you, we are at peace, you and me? Wouldn't it be great if that were true? Well, if we're a Christian here this morning, if we've trusted in who Jesus is, that is true for us. Jesus says to each and every one of us, Go in peace, an eternal peace, a peace that never ends. Because he's not only forever king, he's forever our redeemer, our savior, our friend, the one who wants relationship with us. Now, this transforms how we approach illness, not just that we trust Jesus to heal us, if that's his will, but to hear his voice even in illness. You see, illness has a great way of developing fear, doesn't it? Those of us who have been ill or are still ill. You know, if we're unsteady on our feet like I am, I, I fear tripping up on the pavement and doing some more damage. How's that going to go? We face a long, slow degradation if we face mental health challenge. We fear losing our minds. If we face ongoing chronic pain, we fear the toll it will take on our spirits, that it may embitter us. I think one of the greatest challenges of ongoing illness is the feeling, what have I done wrong to deserve this? Maybe I've sinned in some way that means that this is now what I'm suffering. No. See, Jesus is keen to instill faith in this woman and in us by telling us who we are. If we trust in him, we are daughters of God, sons of God, children of God, at peace with God, whatever turmoil we're going through. All that power is for us. All the power of Almighty God is for us, to keep us going until that day when we see Jesus face to face and he heals all our sins 
and all our diseases and gives us a new resurrection body and we can see him and become like him as he is because we see him as he is, we will be there. He may or may not heal us in this life, but he will in the life to come. And to say that somehow we are ill or sick because of our sin or our lack of faith is just cruel. It's what Job's comforters did for him, wasn't it? You see, one day for all who trust in Jesus Christ, all illness will be healed because we are already at peace. Or to put it in other language, we are justified in his sight. We thought a little bit about diamonds. There's lots on crowns, aren't they? Some of us might have them in our rings. They could even make diamonds now, apparently. But we, we know what diamonds are, don't we? They're just carbon put under pressure and heat and a little bit of time. The, the same is true for us. Just little bits of carbon put under pressure and heat by the sovereign will of a loving creator who wants to make us individually like his one and only son, Jesus Christ. We will sparkle, not with the glory of a diamond, but with the glory of being made like Jesus Christ. See, illness is not a reason to stop trusting God. It's a reason to trust him all the more because of his almighty power at work in our bodies so that every grief we go through, we will come forth as gold or diamonds. And I've quoted this verse, which is precious to me. Whatever we go through is a light and momentary trouble compared to the glory that will be revealed in us in the new creation. So it, that transforms our suffering and our illness and our pain, mental or physical, because Jesus is using what to us is overwhelming to be light and momentary compared to the powerful glory that will shine in eternity because you and I will be made like Jesus Christ. Can we see that? You see, if we can, if we encourage each other to see that more, oh, it helps with illness. So trust in Jesus' power over illness. And then finally, trust in Jesus' power over death. Verse 49. Now, he's just stopped to draw this woman to faith in him, to give her her identity as a daughter, and to tell her by his human words that he's at peace with her. While Jesus is still speaking, verse 49, Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. What will Jesus say? Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she'll, she will be healed. It seems almost unreasonable of Jesus, doesn't it, to tell Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid that your daughter has died. I will heal her. Just believe. He's not being cruel or stringing Jairus along. He knows what power he has. 
I don't know if you've ever seen a corpse. It is so final, isn't it? It doesn't seem like there's any hope. It feeds a creeping futility. How can anyone have power over a corpse? Stop wailing. Verse 52. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Uh, maybe we think that thoughts of death not being the end are laughable. Any belief that there is life beyond death, that the grave can be conquered, are just a bad joke. Think again. It may be terrifying for you to think again that there is life beyond the grave, that you are more than a body, that there is one in the universe that has power to raise you beyond death to stand bodily before him for judgment, but it is true. And Jesus takes the little girl by the hand and says, my child, get up, rise. Same word for getting up and rising. Her spirit returned and once, at once she stood up. See, here is a man who didn't just do things like that. He made claims like this. Very truly, John chapter 5, verse 25, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Jesus will speak to everyone who has ever died, and everyone who has ever lived and died will rise before him. You and I will all stand before Jesus Christ. And if we've died, he will just say to us, John, rise. Mark, rise. Becky, rise. Or if he comes back before we are dead, we will all be ushered before Jesus Christ because the Son of God has the power of God, life in himself. He holds the whole universe in existence. If you've not noticed, it is quite big. You need quite a lot of power to keep the whole universe in existence, and that power will raise every human being who has ever lived before him in a day. So of course he can just wake up this little girl. Do you not fear this man? Do you not trust his way of being right with him on that day when he raises all humanity to judge? See, they're, they're sort of two sides of the same coin, aren't they, fear and trust? Because Jesus also says in chapter 5, verse 24 of John's Gospel, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged will not be judged because he has taken it for all who trust in him. If we are Christians here this morning and we trusted in Jesus Christ, you know what? We've already crossed over from death to life. We're already living the life that will end in eternal glory. So should we not trust him and fear him? As it says in Psalm 2, kiss. That means reverence his son. Or he will be angry and your way will, be, will lead to destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Fear this man because of his power. But then also trust this man who is the son of God because blessed 
Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's just pray, and then we've got five minutes to discuss. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that we've seen afresh something of your awesome, almighty power. Please forgive us for not being sensible and fearing you as we ought. And Lord, we thank you so much that with such power it can be for us, for all who trust in you. Lord, thank you for the faith we have in you. Please help us to trust you more. And so to be delivered from every fear.